This is the EWN Podcast Network. Do you know how often identity theft occurs? Every two seconds, affecting even children. The great news is that you and your loved ones don't have to become the next victim. In the Cyber Mindful with Sandra podcast, we'll explore together simple practices that increase the cyber safety of you, your family, and your business. I'm your host, Sandra Esto, and I believe the key to protecting yourself from hackers, scammers, and cyber monsters is rooted in being fully present, both online and offline. This podcast is a conversation among friends. I'm delighted that you are choosing to take charge of your cyber safety because you deserve to have peace of mind online and protect what matters most to you. So let's do this together. Welcome to another episode of Cyber Mindful with Sandra. Now, let me share this. It's 2013, and I am switching my career from IT into cybersecurity. I have like a one week in the job, and I have to organize this meeting. And I don't know anyone in the team. I just got to get this this group together. We get to to a location about an hour away from, from the office. And I heard there is a speaker coming into the event. Like, I have no idea who the speaker is. Like, I, like cybersecurity, I barely know how to spell it. I mean, that's how much I knew about cyber. And I get there, and oh my God, I hear this woman open her mouth. And I'm like, what? I mean, she's the most vibrant, passionate, smart woman I have ever seen in my life speaking about cybersecurity. And I'm like, I I cannot take my eyes off her. And little did I know she will be my dearest friend, mentor. I mean, everything in my life, I owe it to her. Um, She inspires me every day to do this work in the world of cybersecurity. So thank you, Pamela Fusco. You humble me, Sandra. Thank you. I feel like that that meeting was just last year, not almost 10 years ago. I'm yeah. dumb. When you said 2013, I was like, wow, it's a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Now, I'm going to read a little bit about who Pam is. So, you know, who are we talking about today? So, Pam, so Pam Fusco has. 33 years of experience leading cybersecurity, privacy, and GRC missions. And GRC, um, GRC missions. Pamela has been instrumental implementing the CISO Executive Forum, ISSA Women in Security. She's currently the CEO of Zulu Tales, which you are going to talk about, and it's amazing. And she's the chairman of CBG and resides on the ISSA International BOD as an executive officer and CFO. She has led significant cyber teams and missions globally as CISO of Merck, Digits, MCI, Apollo Group, Citibank, and Splunk. 
And she is supported the U.S., the United States White House. I mean, we're talking about serious things here. (laughs) (laughs) As an industry-recognized innovator, Pam has a founding member of Safe Biopharma Inc., Cloud Security Alliance, which is president of New York Metro CSA chapter. She began her career in the U.S. Navy as a cryptographer. And we're going to talk about that one for sure. We need to know how she got into that and, and <laughs> can wait for this conversation. And of course, she supported the government and national intelligence. Now, Pam, welcome. I'm so honored that you're here and grateful for you and everything that, that I learned from you that I, I get to, to feel inspired every day because of you. Thank you, Sandra. I'm I'm just humbled by just how gracious you are. And thank you for inviting me um, on your podcast. I really appreciate it. Now, t- tell us your story. Pam. How did you get into cryptography? What is cryptography? And um, sure. <laughs> how that happened? It, it's a little odd, right? So uh, initially, I was in nursing school. And I knew that I did not want to be a nurse. I come from a um, very tight-knit Italian Catholic family, um, the first, you know, woman in the family to go off to the college side of the house. I had a bunch of brothers, which I still have. And you're either a nun, a teacher, a nurse, a stay-at-home mom, a stenographer, or a secretary. And, you know, the worst of the evils for me there was, okay, nursing school. And I knew, I just, I just didn't want to do it. It wasn't, wasn't my calling. I just felt like there was something else. I'm a little bit more adventurous. Mm-hmm. So what I did was, is I went to a recruiting office um, on my lunch hour. I was working out at the gym and I went to the Army recruiting and the Air Force recruiting offices and they were closed for lunch and the Navy Marine Corps was open. And I walked in and I said, listen, here's the deal. Um, I need to get out of here and I don't want to be a nurse. And that's where I am right now. Uh, I wanted to do something different. What do you have? And they asked you a bunch of questions, so on and so forth. And at the end of it, they said, what about being a cryptologist? And I'm like, okay, what is, what is it? Like, I had no idea. And they explained a little bit about what it was. And I said, okay, sure. Really, I get to do that. And they said, yes. And I thought, all right, well, let's give it a try, right? Really unknowingly that when I signed, it was a commitment for four years, which was a good thing. It turned out so well, right? <laughs> um, but subsequently, that's that's how I got into to being a cryptologist. I entered into the United States Navy into the cryptology field. And I was in the Navy for 11 years active duty. It was wonderful. Uh, I met my husband. And while I was in the military, he is now a retired Marine. He was a Russian linguist. So it was a wonderful ride. Uh, when I left the Navy, though, um, as being a cryptologist set for 11 years and an analyst um, internationally, serving on several different special missions and operations, I thought, what am I going to do in the real world? They don't know what a cryptologist is. Just mm-hmm. this coveted group of, you know, intelligence individuals in, in the military now. So when I came out, I did what many military folks do is I went to work on a contract uh, at the Pentagon and worked on a program there. And then subsequently kind of got the feel of like, okay, I know how I, I can feel in this world now, uh, how my talents relate, my skills and my expertise and and where I can go. And at that very time, that's when the dot-coms started popping up. We used to call them dot-coms back then. And it was before even the Melissa, I love you virus or anything crazy like that before mm-hmm. regulations. Like we were still on dial-up back then. And a company uh, called Digex uh, reached out to me. It was a startup and said, we're looking for someone to help us with our firewalls and to build out nine data operations centers on a 
the global level. And I said, well, yeah, sure, I can do that. So I went to work for Digex. Uh, it was wonderful. It was, if I have to sum up, after my military career and throughout these last 33, 34 years, what I felt was the job that really propelled me forward light years ahead of it. It was Digix. We were about 20 years ahead of our time, really, you know, introducing cloud um, per se, if you will, in our data operations centers back in 1999 and 2000. So Digix wow. really was groundbreaking and I got to do so much there. Um, and then legislation came about, uh, privacy compliance, HIPAA, GLBA, all that started coming out, the certifications, the CISSPs. So really that was the foundation for me. And then it just sprung from there and went into become the CISO of Merck and several other organizations. So that's truly, I credit it to uh, my Navy background. Your Navy background. That's so fascinating. I mean, how many countries did you travel with the Navy? Well, I think I've seen more of the world than I have the U.S. I mean, someone asked me um, last month, what's on your bucket list? I said, well, I'd like to see Mount Rushmore. Um, I need to fly a kite. So there's all those little things, right? Um, and I think for me, I've lived a very blessed life uh, along with my husband and have been everywhere, all through Asia, Pac, Europe, Eastern Europe. So quite a few places. Hmm. What's your favorite country? Besides the yeah. United States. Of Italy, of course. Come on. Of course, Italy. I mean, how did I not know that? <laughs> I do. <laughs> we have that that in common, Pam. I love gelato and I love pasta. <laughs> Mi familia italiana. Sí. Yes. My family's familiar. Yes. Now, um, but back to, you know, to your success, your success in the industry. Back then you know, was, was even probably less women in the field. Mm -hmm. So how has been that for you? Like, let's talk about that part. Sure. I mean, there's two paradigms here, right? We, we can engage our situations and move forward, or we could sit there and just say, oh gosh, I'm the only woman in the room, right? How's this mm -hmm. going to go? And I, I do believe being in the military, I mean, just such a diverse organization, yet the camaraderie and the reason why we're together is for a bigger, higher purpose and a cause that we all believe in. That really helped me quite a bit because even back then, uh, being in the Navy, there weren't very many women in the cryptologist field mm -hmm. at all. So I was a little bit outnumbered there, but I didn't see it quite that way. Um, we were all seen as equals. So when I approach okay. it, I have to look at it as being an equal to anybody else. And I have just as much... Um, need to be here, reason to be here. And I deserve it just as much as everybody else. So I'd really never let mm -hmm. the, the male, female persona get in my way or hung my hat on that. I truly um, just, we're all humans in this room and we're here for the same purpose, whether we know each other or not. So let's work toward that goal. I'm not going to say though, there haven't been obstacles along the way because I'm a woman. Of course there have, but the reality of it is, you know, we're in charge of our own careers. And yeah. if I sit there and just say, because I'm a woman, it's not going to happen. Then it's not going to happen because I'm doing it to myself. So I didn't limit myself because of being a woman. And I will be honest with you. There are so many men in this industry and in other parts of my life that truly have believed in me, trusted in me to get me to where I am today. So I believe we're all in it together. Now I do like to empower women to come into this field for sure. <laughs> I love that. I love, I love that mindset because I, I am with you, Pam, you know, mindset is everything. Absolutely. It is. Um, now let's, let's, you know, in your career as a, as a chief information 
security officer. We, what what was is is there a story or something you can share with us like the most scary thing that I know there are secret things you cannot disclose or talk about a particular company but is there a story there so somewhere okay. you can share with us sure there's a couple of stories i mean being a chief information security officer isn't just about um it's the operational piece right so it, it depends on what your role is right and i've had very different roles um are you you know us nationwide or are you international um are you in charge of operations do you have to deal with the regulators are you in charge of compliance do you have facilities as well right So brick and mortar, blah, blah, blah. So at the end of the day, each of these different roles were a little bit different. But if I had to look at something that I said, you know, like what was the most challenging or what was the one where I sat back and said, okay, this one's net new to me. All, all eyes are looking at me like, so what do you want us to do? Like, come on, Pam. And I would definitely say that that was a time when um, there was an exploit out there called NIMDA. And I don't know if everybody remembers it. I want to say it was probably around 2000, 1999, 2000, 2001, or along those lines. And that's when we start, first started seeing, you know, malicious activity, exploits, Trojan horses, all of the above. And it had to do, and I'm not bashing Microsoft, but it had to do with some patching and some holes in Microsoft software. And at that point at Digix, this is very different because we were doing managed services for so many mm -hmm. Fortune 50 corporations around the world. Whatever we provided our customers that we were managing had to be solid including security. So when you're dealing with the magnitude of that, you really need to understand what you're what you're managing, what's in all of your data operation centers, what your customers lines of business are. And when you're looking at, you know, something like 50,000 different servers, and that's just hardware, and then all the complexities of software and the different businesses that they're running on that. I mean, jCrew was running their first online catalog um, through our data centers. We launched um, clinical trials for a very big pharmaceutical company that was over in Switzerland um, online. So they're really all just testing out things too, to get out there. So the big challenge for me was, if there was an exploit, how do I know who it impacts? how it impacts somebody and how do I fishbowl it? How do we curtail it? What, what do we address first? So in this case with NIMDA and Blaster and Slammer, because once one exploit comes and the rest kind of just follow, um, the first rule of business was that we were under contract with many of our customers that one minute of unscheduled downtime, 60 seconds, cost us $5 million a minute. Now wow. it's a lot of money, but when you're dealing with clients that are, you know, trillion dollar, trillion dollar transactions, Mm -hmm. They don't want $5 million. They yeah. just don't want their stuff to go down. And yeah. when you look at that, you have to also understand that if a customer does go down, is it, what was it? Was it the network? Was it fiber? Was it the customer? Was it one of their developers? Or was it a security incident? So when you look mm -hmm. at the magnitude of this, you've really got to have some level of a foundation in order for you to spring into play to say, let me help pinpoint this, especially in the case of this blaster situation, if you will, and NIMDA, if you will, was I need to quickly assess, is this not related to cybersecurity or is it? And you can't do that unless you're collaborating with your developers and your engineers and you have you know, a consistent repository of what it is you're managing and housing, not only just for your customer, but how you're touching the systems. Are you remotely dialing in? Is it coming from the US? Is it coming from Tokyo? Which facility? All of that. And you've got to have, you've got to be on top of it. Like you have to know your business. So I can't walk into it blindly and say, well, I think you have a data center in Tokyo and one in Frankfurt and one over here, but does that really matter? And is there a segment down? Is there a network down? Is it a telco issue? I have to be in it. Um, to understand it. And I have to trust the team that I have to help me with it. So I think for me, 
that was the one that really almost uh, um, sent me to the moon. I mean, my blood pressure was through the roof, not because I didn't know what I was doing, but the pressure was so heavy to react quickly. And I was able to do that because we had that repository and I had teams that I could trust that would train and we ran drill after drill after drill. Subsequently, at the end of that, it turned out very, very well for Digix because we knew what we built. We knew how we managed customers. And every day I would get a report and that report was pretty cool. It was a report that we called Digix Fix. And what would happen is this report would run every 24 hours and it would go out and tell me anything that changed over the last 24 hours. And every morning I would come in and read this report so I could see if there was a systems configuration change. If we moved something from a D to a C drive, if um, a developer was on the site um, updating some you know, marketing schema for one of our customers, uh, did that change? Uh, were patches installed? Were they removed? And I could just look at the diff. So it ran very quickly because it was just looking for differences. And then I could pinpoint if there was an issue. And in many cases that helped. And in this situation it did. So I want to say back then, 80% of the industry was offline. I mean, ATMs were down. It was just crazy. We suffered zero impact. And it was because of our patching methodology and strategy. But at that point in time, I didn't know if we were even doing the right patching methodology and strategy. I didn't know if this, you know, two year of two years of putting all of this together and these resources and this planning, if when the if an incident did happen, was it gonna work? Right. Um, and subsequently it did. So you can plan a lot um, for even a pandemic or a situation, but yeah. until you're in it, that's when the rubber meets the road. And you're very, you know, I can only speak for myself, very anxious and saying, oh gosh, I hope we did the right thing. I hope I'm leading down <laughs> the right path. And it really, I did, but I can tell you this, I would not have been able to have the confidence to stand up and say, whenever he's looking at me, like, Pam, press the button. What do we do? Like, do we need to do this? If it wasn't for <clears throat> the backing of our CEO said, you've planned for this, do it. We're all on it together. Let's make it happen. So truly it wasn't just me. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that, that analogy. I mean, the planning, but also having a team behind you that can help you and support you and building that, that culture, right? Yes. That's so important. And, you know, we can prepare for any incident or any situation, but at the end of the day, you know, like you said. Something's going to change. I mean, there's the one constant, right? You can prepare, you know, you're buying a new house, right? Um, mm -hmm. And you, you checked it out. You did all the inspections. You mm -hmm. sign in the data line. You, you look for two years and you move in and, oh gosh, my fridge doesn't fit. Or, you know, it, so there's always something. And it's just common things. The same paradigm applies to business. It applies to cybersecurity. But the thing with cybersecurity is, you might be focused on a situation or an incident, or you might be focused on a piece of legislation or a law or just a specific customer, but you can't solely focus on that. You can't be myopic. You've got to look at everything across the, the parameter because in the reality of it is, if there's a situation happening, like, a you know, we had the L4J last year at this time, I think it was December 6th or 9th last year, almost a year to date, that took everybody down. That was like the worst thing we've seen in 10 years. There's other things still happening that are going to contribute to that. So you can't just focus on this. You've got to bring everything into play because that's not the only thing I'm going to play at the time. And sometimes it's hard. It's hard to balance. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, you, you, thank you for sharing that, that, that experience and sharing with us the learnings and, and what you, you know, how, how, how that, made a, a significant difference in your career, like you said before. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, 
I say I've been doing security for 33 years. But the reality of it is that was 10 years. So it's 23 years plus those 10. That one incident gave me added 10 years to my career. No, I'm kidding. Still <laughs> been doing it 33 years. 33. Okay. Okay. <laughs> now let's let's talk about today. So what what is Pam doing? What what let's talk about your your latest projects and your latest passions. Sure. So you know, you come to a point. Um I love what I do. I do. But you come to a point where, you know, you, you, you've been through the incidents. You've, you've met with the regulators. You've, you've been, you know, before Congress speaking about like, like just wonderful things. But for me, you come to a point in your life where it's got to be more. There's, there's, there's more to this. Um, I'm not tracking hackers anymore because I'm too old, right? Um, let somebody else do that now, right? Um, and you move on. But you want to be able to share what you've done. Because I believe, for me, it isn't just one situation or one job or one role. It's a plethora of different things and building upon the next. And I'm a big proponent. Um, even when I you know, look at new candidates for positions that I have on my teams, I look for someone that's not just doing their day job, that does things like, I'm on the board of directors of ISSA. It's a nonprofit organization. It's a security alliance that works across um, international boundaries, right? But you don't get paid for it. And it's not a part of your day job. But stepping out and doing those extra things really helped me to understand where our industry is and where it's going and how it can help influence change um, and bring progressiveness to the cyber industry. That's kind of where I'm at today, right? But in a different kind of a paradigm. So when I look at where we are today, we're so far beyond, uh, you know, dial up or instant messaging, uh, you know, back in the day, who would have thought when we had our cell phones, I think I had a Nokia, which I love that battery was like three days. I never had to charge it. <laughs> it was just text, right? It was like five quick text messages. And we're like, wouldn't it be crazy to get pictures and videos? And they couldn't even browse then, right? We're in this world today where your mobile devices outnumber desktop PC, like that's our livelihood, right? So mm-hmm. you, you, it's really touching consumers. It's touching those at home. It's not just about those around you in the corporate environment or in the legislation, legislation, legislative environment or your customers. It's everybody. And that's the area that I'm kind of playing now. Really looking at how can we make sure in this world that we're living in today that anything and everything we do, it's technology driven. It's IoT, the Internet of Things. And there's some level that everyone needs to take responsibility and accountability for for cyber. And that's where I'm at today really educating across the board and implementing technologies and tools or working with alliances that do do that right down to the kindergartner to the senior citizen to pets and people, right? And how they influence your life. And so really started the company called Zulu Tales, uh, worked on it for about six years behind the scenes, really doing a lot of research because I didn't work in the pet industry, but I have five dogs, right? Um, and I have my passion for them. And I've seen what happens to people when they put their information on the internet. So kind of married, you know, what I've done in the cyber industry with my passion and love for animals and then living all over the world and knowing how that translates. So pulled together a company called Zootales, which is phenomenal, serves so many around the world. And then the other element that I've also done is I'm working with startups um, and really looking for new technology, not technology that's going to be point in time, not an augmented technology that's, you know, just going to take us to the next level of identity and access management. Technology 
that really is going to live and grow with us without being a massive disruption because it needs to be for anybody to use that we can put in place for the next five years to get us to where we need to go. So those are the areas that I've really been working with. I love it. I love it. Now let's go dive into, I I, I am fascinated by the, both topics, but I, let's let's go into the consumers because of course you said something about pets and, you know, share more about what do you mean with, with the information and do you have stories? Do you have, you know, tell us a little bit more of what happened there because if someone that is listening right now owns a, a dog, a cat or any kind of sure. pet, you know, it will be good to know more details that how can they protect themselves and protect their loved one, their furry ones. Sure. Sure. You know, it really boils down to this, what we do in our daily lives and what our passions are and what we love and how we function and how we interoperate just as a mother, a father, a brother, a sister, an aunt and uncle, right? Wh whatever you are. Um, and that's what it boils down to. So when I look at this, I'm going to use this scenario. It's not even related to pets, right? But it's just related to things we do every day. So you go online and you order flowers for someone's birthday and you go in there and you want it to be a surprise. So I go in there and I order some flowers. Um, I'm not going to say where I work. Blah, 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 blah. I put my name in there and all that good stuff. Right. And of course, he's my credit card. That's all common stuff. We all know we need to protect that. Here's the piece that, that comes into play because I want to do something nice for somebody and send them flowers for their birthday. I've got to put their name in there, their address, or if it's delivered to their office, um, I usually pick up, you know, what kind of a card or message you want. Oh, I want birthday. I put a little message in there and then I need delivery instructions. And then the person that's receiving this, these flowers, I, they're asking for um, their phone number and it's also asking for an email. So they can contact them for, for delivery. Now, I, that was a great thing that I just did, right? But guess what happens? I'm protecting my identity, but I've just exposed theirs unknowingly. So now someone, and this is true fact, this, I did a presentation that was about 15 years ago at RSA. True fact is this, I've shared someone's potential date of birth because any perpetrator can look now and say, okay, this is being delivered to Sally and Sally works in DC. Sally works, um, you know, at Stroman's, uh, she's on the second floor. And if it's for her birthday, her birthday, maybe sometime this week, I don't know if she's 55, 60, but now I know where she works potentially. I know it's her birthday and I have her first and last name. Oh, and I have her phone number and an email. That's how I've exposed Sally unknowingly. Mm -hmm. So we're in that era where anything we do isn't just about us as a consumer or as a do-gooder or a nice person. It's about the others that we're pulling into this web that we don't realize we're doing. And that's where we have to be super cautious. So first line of defense would be Pamela. Um, that information, did you expose it because I don't have a, a proper parameters on my PC or my phone? Did I get compromised? Uh, did Sally it's social, you know, was she socially engineered? What was it? And that's when we start to run into these situations. So what we need to understand is everything we do. I know it sounds so overwhelming and so big. It's not just about us. Though. It's about those that we love and care about. So when I put together Zulu Tales, it was my love and passion for pets. And it doesn't matter if, you know, it's a goat, if it's a horse, if it's a pony, a dog, a cat, a pig, people have all kinds of pets, right? On a global level. And when you move, you and I've lived all over the world, you change your your phone number or your address, if you will. You've got to update it on your pet's tag. Or if you have a microchip, you've got to update that information at the microchip center. Because in case your pet gets lost, you want it to get home to you. If you don't update that stuff, you're not going to get your pet back. Number two is, even when you do update that stuff, you're still sharing your information. 
Number three, hmm. how many of us have seen out there on the internet, social media, doesn't matter, in a gas station, on a poster, a sign, you name it, lost dog. Um, AJ was lost last seen August 3rd, Central Park. We miss him so much. Please, please call us. Here's my phone number. Here's my email. And then maybe other people's phone numbers, right? You might put your mother, your brother, your sister, your aunt, your uncle, your husband's phone number on there. You want this pet back, right? And you have pictures out there on the internet of you and your kids and family members and your dog. I want my dog back. I want my dog back. That you just exposed so much level of detail about yourself and your family because you care. You'll give a pint of blood to get this pet back, right? Mm -hmm. On the other side of it, you give a reward. Guess what happens? You're going to get a lot coming your way. So the reality of that is, true story, a family member had lost, their dog had run away. They were gone for the weekend um, and someone was watching their little dog, Mia, and she ran away. Um, my family member came back and started searching for the pet, putting flyers and posters everywhere. And the biggest distance they can get is a 15 mile radius. Her phone number, my phone number, her husband's phone number, her mother's phone number. We were getting all these strange calls from strange people, odd numbers. No, that's not my dog. I saw the dog over here on Ridge Road. It's a German Shepherd. No, we're looking for a black lap. Like all this crazy chaos is going on. Now, my information's involved in this too, right? Mm. And there was a $500 reward. All this is happening. It's plastered everywhere. You can't concentrate. You're getting, you're reading through the false information, taking calls from strangers, and you get a call that says, hey, I have your dog, Mia. What's your address? And my family member gave their address before I could stop them. I said, what are you doing? And they said, this woman just called and said she has Mia. She's bringing her to the house. Now they have your home address. The woman comes to the house, no doubt. She had about 15 flyers that she'd taken down from gas stations and vets and animal control in her hand and said, here are the posters, take them down. Give me the $500 and I'll bring your dog. She didn't have the dog. But the reality of it is this. She knew where, where my family member lived now, that she had two small boys. She knew that she was frantically looking for a pet. I watched all this happen and said, there's got to be a better way. On top of that, they did find the dog deceased. It was a very sad ending. The reality of it is this. Your information's out there forever. It's difficult to pull it all back because three months later, my family member got a phone call from somebody saying, hey, I'm Margaret. I'm over here at such and such. I have your black lab, Mia. Mia's been gone for three months. Mm. So the point being is she relived it. Her dog's dead. She's getting a call three months later saying someone found it because her data is still out there. Yeah. So the fact of the matter is Zulutales takes that all the way, making it much easier and simpler for us to do what we want to do to love our animals. And Zulutales doesn't require you to put your name and phone number out there. Doesn't require you to update your address or what you're doing. Doesn't require you to say, I'm going away on vacation. So my house is empty. Doesn't require you to say, I'm out there looking for my dog and everybody knows you're not home. So they go rob your house. None of that stuff. It's a very sleek, simple platform that meets our day-to-day -day lives today in our operability with a level of technology that's unfallible. And we have members on a global level. Doesn't matter if you live in New York, if you live in Germany, doesn't matter. Zulutales works on a global level. It's pretty amazing. And it's based on your pet's information, not you as an owner. It's pretty cool. I love it. I love it. And we're going to put all the information about Sulu Tales in the show notes. So make sure that you check that out and visit Pam's website and, and get, if you are a pet owner, this is a must to have for sure. Now, Pam. Definitely. I, Even if you have a microchip, because the microchips, if they were working, they've been around since 1985, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Now, Pam, 
Um, I have three last questions. Um, sure. I always ask. So number one is, is there anything I did not ask you that you would love to answer or that you want to give the audience information on? Wow. Um, that I want to give them information on as it relates to my career or as it relates to cybersecurity? Anything, anything that you want to answer because. Sure. I think for me, just generically out there, just for mankind in itself, um, where we are today in a technology-driven world, um, there's so many people that I hear say, oh, I can't keep up with it. Da, da, da. It's not going to change. It's, it's, we're just going to keep morphing and moving forward. And change can be hard. But the most important thing to remember is we're giving up information to get information. Be aware of what you're giving up for what you get. And also be aware that information and data is an asset and somebody wants it for whatever reason. So I would say covet your information, ask questions. Don't just fill out forms. Don't just you know say, oh, I'm going to get a $5 off coupon, especially this time of year um, during the holidays because there's so many sales and so many gimmicks going on. So yeah. truly remember, you're going to give something to get something. Just remember what you're giving. I love that. And I always say in the show, be intentional, be aware, and be mindful. You know, if you apply those three things, absolutely, you um, you can protect yourself and your family from all the craziness that happen online. Right, Now, and it might not even be you. Like if you have a shared computer at home, and you're sitting there doing, I'm doing all this great stuff. I'm protecting my bank. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And then you share it with a family member, like a daughter or a son that's in college. Mm -hmm. uh, hello, that can also compromise you as well, too. So just remember, sharing isn't always caring. Yes. So that's why intention, awareness, and mindfulness can really yeah. make, make a difference. Absolutely. Now, what is your favorite piece of technology and why? Oh, my favorite piece of technology. Well, there isn't any one, but anything with analytics. I'm an analyst by trade, and I really like to deal with the facts. So analytical data, um, that which crunches data and information, a source, destination, who, what, when, where, why, for me, just takes me right there because uh, it, <laughs> it gives you the whole picture. It's like the chronology of something. So analytical information um, doesn't even have to be cyber, right? Uh, yeah. We have analytical tools to lead us to some conclusion for cyber or some hypothesis, if you will. So um, analytical tools are definitely my favorite. Nice. Thank you, Pam. And now our last question is, it's not a question, but it's more an action. So I want you to think about your phone, your cell phone. Okay. And I want you to think about three things why you are grateful for your phone. Like, ooh. Um, well, sometimes I'm so not. Uh, number <laughs> one, being able to be in touch with my loved ones mm -hmm. very quickly. Yep. That's, that's number one. Uh, number two is because I am getting older. I often wonder how I got from, you know, when I was traveling long distances driving with a map how I got there. So I'm very grateful for the ability to be able to, to get directions uh, and detouring. I'm very grateful for that. And I think the third one that I'm grateful for, um, gosh, that's a tough one. Um, it's not about sharing pictures and information or anything like that. It truly is being, being able to communicate mm -hmm. um, as often as we can. Um, and is inexpensively because long distance phone calls used to cost a lot of money when you live overseas. So I'm grateful for that. Oh yeah. I remember those days. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So for me, it's not about the technology. It's not about you know being able to log in online or get my messages for work. It really is being able to communicate quickly and efficiently. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Pam. This has been so wonderful to hear your 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 thoughts, your your wisdom, and your experience. And thank you for sharing those stories. And again, if you want to contact Pam, so Pam, you're, we're going to have your website uh, information. But if you if anyone wants to go to your website, what is your website? You um, for Zula Tales is Z U L U. T-A-I-L-S dot com. This is Zulu Tales. And then for CBG, the Cyber Bear Group, it's Cyber, C-Y-B-E-R, Bear, B-E-A-R, Group, G-R-O-U-P dot com. And Bear stands for Breach Education and Response. Great. And we will have all of that in, in the notes. So thank you so much, Pam, for, for thank our conversation. Thank you, Sandra. I look, I look forward to seeing what you're doing in the future because you, you pat yourself on the back. You've done so much for so many for so long. And I'm really excited to see what the future is for you. Thank you so much. I love you. and Love I you too. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And I will see you uh, all next week in our next episode. Ciao for now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. I'm so grateful for you today. So if you enjoyed this episode, please tag me in social media at way to protect again it's way number two protect and let me know if this episode has helped you i would love to hear from you and if you like to know more about me check out my resources at my website sandraestock.com and remember be intentional be aware and be mindful be i am be i am now